I'll tell you one thing. What? Yesterday's price is not today's price. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The price went up. I feel like that's every day. Literally every day. And for everything. Everything. Gallon of milk, bread, cheese, chicken, chicken wings. Nothing is safe. No one is safe. All of our pockets are getting got. They did say the chicken wing price went back to pre-pandemic prices. Well, I don't know how there was a wing shortage, but not a rest of the chicken shortage anyway. <laughs> it didn't affect me because, you know, I'm roasting whole chickens at my house. Ooh, <laughs> but... Yeah, that's true. My friend. Oh, my gosh. You remember when you put that turkey breast on the grill? It was so good. Those were good times. Man, Zakia cooks so good. It make you want to fight her. Because you know you're not going to eat that good again. Well, I won't do it again. Not if you act like that. (laughs) I'd be so mad. I'm like, man, because I know it's going to be a long time before I eat this good again. Mm. (laughs) So if you think about that turkey that I had then, Mm -hmm. if you look at inflation and the changing prices, the price of meat has gone up from anywhere between 9.5% and 10.5% in 2022. Oof. So if that turkey was $20 mm-hmm. last year, then this $22 this year. That's a large percentage. Yes. And that is the difference between having Thanksgiving and not having Thanksgiving. That's the difference between Thanksgiving and thank you, come again, because we will be at the drive-thru. <laughs> come again. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> oh, my God, my friend. She's a comedian, honey. Comedic timing. (laughs) Chef Kiss. (laughs) I'm Titi. And I'm Zakia. And from Spotify, this is Dope Labs. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Accenture Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Welcome to Dope Labs, a weekly podcast that mixes hardcore science, pop culture, and a healthy dose of friendship. We want to help you, our listeners, and ourselves, <laughs> yes, understand the economy. We've heard things about it slowing down, speeding up, people needing to tighten the reins. It sounds like we're talking about a horse. <laughs> and we've also heard certain buzzwords like inflation and recession, and a lot of people talking about those things. And we've been hearing about different types of interventions like the student loan forgiveness program. And people have been acting crazy on Twitter about that. Right. If you're a friend of the show, you know, at Dope Labs, we can find science anywhere. So today we're talking all about the economy. Let's get into the recitation. What do we know? We know that prices are up. But another thing that I do know is that I did not do well in freshman economics, okay? 
that was one of the worst performance in college I had was in my freshman year economics course. So I don't know much about the economy. Did I even have economics? I feel like everybody's first foray into economics was those people set up in the student center in college giving you credit cards with too high of an interest rate. (laughs) That was my first (laughs) adventure in economics, okay? Shoot, yeah. Mine was a Victoria's Secret credit card. Ooh, I didn't have a job. Like, I can barely pay for this now. How am I going to pay interest too? Uh, And what I know is I'm still figuring those same things out (laughs) today. All right? (laughs) So what do we want to know? Well... I want a bird's eye view of the U.S. economy. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it and what's going on? And what is the current state of the U.S. economy? Because it feels like, you know, depending on what station you're listening to, some people are saying, oh, everything's going to be OK. The Fed has got it covered. And other people are like, hold on to your wallets. It's about to be a doozy. Yeah. So I don't know what to believe and I don't know what any of this means. And is there a recession or not? Are we <laughs> in it? And it's just not deep or (laughs) is it coming? Like, is it like a tidal wave? Because people have been talking about a recession since mid-2020. And I'd really like to understand, you know, I've lived through one recession, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have any money anyway. So it didn't really matter. It didn't matter. And I didn't understand the economy then. Go ahead and recess. (laughs) Right. It's just a break. I love recess. (laughs) (laughs) It's why I really want to understand, like, what does it mean and what are the effects and at this big age how should I be preparing let's jump into the dissection our guest for today's lab is Dr. Vanessa Perry my name is Vanessa Perry I am professor of strategic management and public policy at the George Washington University School of Business I am also a non-resident fellow at the Urban Institute's Housing Finance Policy Center. Okay, so with Dr. Perry, we had to start very basic. And so our first question was, what is the U.S. economy? Our system of production and consumption that creates wealth and sort of encompasses the sum total of our resources. That's what we mean by our economy. And the U.S. economy, or roughly speaking, those aspects, those institutions that are U.S.-based. Now, it's really hard to talk about the U.S. economy without the context of the entire global economy. Mm. And this is because we live in a global society, and the United States and the world economy are inextricably tied. But for the main purposes of this lab, we're going to mainly talk about the state of the United States economy without looking at what's happening around us. (laughs) (laughs) Over the last six to 10 months, there's been a lot happening with the economy. And it seems like it's been dominating the news cycles with talks of inflation and a possible recession. And we'll get to those things a little bit later. But first, we wanted to ask Dr. Perry about the current state of the economy. The U.S. economy is doing extremely well and has since the beginning of the pandemic. That is highly unexpected because what I think most people anticipated was that the pandemic, and nobody knew how long it was going to last, but once we went past sort of the three-month mark, nobody expected the economy to boom the way that it has. That's really interesting because there is a lot on my television saying that the economy is going down, down, down. So what does it really mean? 
when you say the economy is doing well. According to Dr. Perry, it means that the economy is growing, there's an abundance of jobs, incomes are fairly high, and unemployment is low. Okay, so how did we get here? Even though the pandemic sort of shifted purchasing behavior and lifestyles in many ways, it also sparked a lot of just different kinds of consumption. So what we used to do just kind of got swapped out for other things. In Lab 39, Add to Cart with Christopher Mims, he told us that once the pandemic hit, people were purchasing everything online. And so the economy did a lot better than expected because we turned into like hyper consumers. We were getting our groceries delivered. We were buying toilet paper on Amazon, everything. But that was 2020. I don't have no money now. No. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how it's still booming, but Dr. Perry says it is. I'm not contributing to the boom. <laughs> I feel like I am a little bit contributing to the boom. I need to stop contributing. Send your contributions this way. <laughs> In fact, it was moving so quickly that the government started to get concerned that it was actually growing too fast. It was getting too hot. And that often leads to inflation. Inflation is the rate of increase in prices over a given period of time. And we're seeing a lot of that right now. We buy certain things kind of all the time, from groceries to gas to clothes. And you might have noticed that things are not the same price that they used to be. The annual inflation rate for the United States was 8.5% from July of 2021 to July of 2022. And according to the U.S. Labor Department, it's the highest it's been since 1981. But how is inflation even measured? It's usually measured by the consumer price index. That's the number one measure of inflation. And it's created by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which is part of the U.S. Department of Labor. How do I know this? Because my mother's, one of her first jobs was actually computing the consumer price index. That was before the government even had a computer. And the CPI, this, this index, simply put, is just a basket of products and services. And what they go out is that they measure the price at one point in time, and then they go back and measure the price at another point in time. And then they combine these into an index to show how much the prices for those same goods went up over that period of time. And that's roughly what the CPI is telling us. Okay, so that's the CPI. But what caused the inflation that we're seeing right now? What caused those? The pandemic and the effects that the pandemic had on supply chains, ability to be able to get goods and services to where they needed to be. And things like wars in multiple parts of the world that have affected the supplies of food and energy. And those have combined to create these inflationary pressures where companies can't provide goods and services at the same price, so they raise the prices. We heard earlier that the economy is doing so well, incomes are higher and unemployment is lower. So what does that mean for inflation? Does it have as much of an impact? Do we just not feel the sting of inflation if people are making more money? It's a particularly a problem when prices go up faster than our incomes go up. Because if our incomes were to go up at the same rate, it wouldn't matter. We wouldn't notice the inflation. We notice it because our incomes increases lag inflation. 
and they almost always will because companies, governments, employers will argue that they cannot afford to keep up with these high inflationary rates. Aside from making things less affordable, inflation can really be a problem because it's an indicator of a potential recession. A recession is basically when the economy comes to a screeching halt. People stop buying things, people are laid off from their jobs, and really just generally face a lot of financial hardship. So inflation is one thing that might lead to recession, but that is not necessarily the case or always the case. I know it sounds like I'm being circular because it is extremely complicated, A, and B, none of these things are precise. The National Bureau of Economic Research has a business cycle dating committee, and it's the department of the government that can officially declare a recession. They define a recession as a significant decline in economic activity that is spread across the economy and that lasts more than a few months. The last major recession we had was over 10 years ago, and that was the Great Recession of 2008, and that was fueled by the collapse of the housing market. And then there was also a mini-recession, and it was the shortest on record. And that was between February and April of 2020, and that was due to unprecedented levels of unemployment during the COVID-19 pandemic. The opposite of a recession is an expansion. Expansion is the economy's natural state, and recessions are more short-lived. Recessions are a natural part of the cycle of our economy, but they're not very pleasant. So the question on everybody's mind is, is there a recession coming? Well, we're in this weird space where a lot of people are predicting that a recession is coming, but then there are other indicators that suggest that maybe it's not, or maybe it will be later rather than sooner. It's really hard to tell. And anybody that tells you that they know precisely is lying because there are all, all sorts of predictions. And all we have to look at is what's happened in the past. And, you know, we've never really been in these particular circumstances. So looking to the past can only get us so far. We haven't had a pandemic since 1917. And certainly we didn't have the internet then, okay? And so we didn't have access to all this technology. So it's kind of hard to predict What's going to happen? T.T., you said that you heard on the radio <laughs> that a recession is inevitable. Yeah, that's what they were saying. And I was very scared. And I don't even know what to do to prepare for a recession. Right. Is it beans? What do you do? I need to get all the bread and all the milk and pack a go bag. <laughs> you know I love a go bag. I know my friend loves a go bag. But is a recession something that has to happen? Or is it a course correction? Or can we keep the recession at bay? We can keep it at bay temporarily, but a recession is part of an economic cycle that always has booms and busts. The economy always has gone up, then slows down, then it picks up, then it slows down. And those cycles, those bumps, those dips get triggered by different things. But I don't think anybody would predict that we'll never have a recession again. The question is, is it going to be in 2023 or are we going to be able to ride sort of the current wave of stability, you know, for a longer period of time? And things are already slowing down. The GDP or the gross domestic product, and this value is the value of goods produced and services provided in a country during one year. 
So the GDP is falling, which is also sometimes considered an indicator of the beginning of a recession. Recessions are an inevitable part of the economy, but that doesn't mean they don't suck. A recession can cause a lot of suffering for people. And if there is a recession, what can the government do to help? Well, there are a number of things that the government can do to help people. And we can look at that little mini recession in 2020 as an example. So there were a lot of people that were out of work at the beginning of COVID. And the government stepped in and put a moratorium on evictions and foreclosures. Private sector adjusted the credit score system so people weren't penalized for missing payments. There was the CARES Act payments that went right into folks' bank accounts. And this kind of leveled things off until the economy could pick up again. There are interventions that can occur in both the private and public sector that can alleviate some of the negative effects of the recession on individuals and households. But when it's all said and done, there will be higher unemployment. There will be lower incomes. And if this is coupled with inflation, that means buying power will be reduced. So we want to avoid that two-punch combo. Exactly. Of low wages and high prices. Mm -hmm. We don't want to lose that buying power. I want somebody to regulate that. I want that to stay far away. Another way that the government can manipulate the economy, not necessarily in a recession, is to increase the interest rate. It seems like all summer there have been headlines about the Federal Reserve or the Fed raising the interest rate yet again. So the Federal Reserve Bank is the central bank of the United States. All countries have a central bank and actually sometimes a region will have a central bank. And their job is essentially to be the bank for the banks and to regulate their operations and to make sure that the banks, even though many of them are private corporations, but the goal is to make sure that they continue to serve the overall economy because that's where the country's money resides, right? It's in the banking system. So the Fed is able to control the money supply by controlling interest rates. You can think about interest rates as the price of money. If I borrow $100 from UTT, mm. how long are you going to let me have that $100 before you charge me $105 for it? Is this hypothetical? You really want to know. <laughs> I don't think I want to know. Let's keep this friendship intact. <laughs> no, I would never ask for the money back. <laughs> so that's 0% interest. Mm -hmm. But if the interest rate is higher, you know, you might say, okay, you're going to have to pay me a little bit to hold that $100. Mm -hmm. And the more I have to pay you, it means the price of the money is higher. So rate increases mean higher payments on credit cards, on cars, on student loans, things that you're financing. And that also means that you're not able to save as much because you're spending it paying more on the money you've borrowed. So when interest rates go up, it means people are going to pull back on their spending and it becomes more expensive to borrow that $100. Now, my favorite analogy for this is a fish tank fish tank, you fill it with water. If you put too much water in the fish tank, it overflows, makes a mess. If you have too little water in the fish tank, fish can't swim effectively. And so that's the Fed and the money supply. They've got to make sure that the right amount of cash is in that tank so that the economy, the fish, the consumers, the producers can exchange value in a way that makes sense 
that works without spilling water over the tank. And they certainly want to make sure that they don't put too much water in the tank because that then will also throw off the balance of what's going on with the fish. So this all makes sense on a kind of macro level, but we wanted to know what does this mean specifically for folks who are affected by the decisions that the Fed makes and the state of the economy in general? So if the interest rate is going up, what does that mean for folks? It's hard to say the negative impact on one group because there's sort of positive and negatives for everyone. So people who are lower, moderate incomes, younger consumers, people with student loan balances, these people can actually suffer negative consequences. For example, people saving for a house. When interest rates go up, they can afford less because they have to pay more in interest. Or if you're trying to pay down your debts, it's harder because your interest rates have gone up and so your payments are higher. But this is different for folks who have plenty of money in savings. For example, the Federal Reserve raises interest rates to try to manage inflation. And that's one of the tools that the Fed has. When that happens, it's a great time to save money. If you can, if you have any extra money, put it in the bank. This is blowing my mind because I don't really think about interest rates in terms of saving. Like, whenever I think about interest rates, I'm thinking about borrowing and APRs and all of that. Right. So... I think I didn't consider that if you got a lot of money under your mattress, when the interest rate is up, put it in the bank. The other part of the issue when interest rates go up, and I think about this now from the perspective of a business owner. Businesses have to borrow money as well in order to keep their operations going. And they may borrow money to cover labor costs or other kinds of costs that they face. And so who pays for that? Consumers pay for that. That actually can feed into higher prices because the costs of doing business are increased when interest rates go up. What this really captures is that it's a double-edged sword. So sure, if you have money to save, you can make some more money on it. But can you really save money when everything is so expensive because the interest rates are up? Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what the government is doing to rein this economy in. Okay, we're back. But before we get back into the lab, we just want to let you know that we'll be off next week. So we'll be sharing a special lab from the archives and we'll be back with a brand new lab on September 29th. Let's get back to the lab. We've been talking to Dr. Vanessa Perry all about the economy. Dr. Perry has already mentioned that the economy is cyclical. We're going to go through these booms and busts. And so my next question is about what policies have been in place to prevent economic failures? And what have the policies of the past taught us about what we should do right now? I can think of two examples where the federal government did just an extraordinary job of preventing disaster. The first was after the 2008 housing crisis. And the government stepped in with a number of bailout-type programs to, one, stabilize the banking system and to provide opportunities for people to stay in their homes by renegotiating the terms of their mortgages. And certainly, the government is partly to blame for 
lacking the regulatory vision to see that that crisis was coming and get ahead of it. The other positive, I would say, is at the start of the pandemic, federal government jumped in with, one, some cash payments directly to people with programs like the PPP program, Paycheck Protection Program, for small businesses that help them keep their doors open. The workouts that occurred so that people did not lose their homes but could stay current on their mortgages, that were not going to be evicted or foreclosed on, those were all evidence of the government acting quickly to try to keep Americans in a stable situation and to prevent further disaster and hardship. The Inflation Reduction Act has been all over the news, and Congress finally passed it in August. This act is basically a sweeping new law that is trying to curb inflation through a variety of different means. The Inflation Reduction Act is interesting. It's got a lot of cool stuff in it, including a label that some people suggest is misleading because it makes it sound like it might, you know, put a cap on prices across the board. And that's not exactly what it does, but it will have some positive effects on many markets and many aspects of the economy. Specifically, the new law will spend $369 billion on energy and climate change, $300 billion in deficit reduction, three years of subsidies for the Affordable Care Act, prescription drug reform, and tax reform. We asked Dr. Perry which parts of the Inflation Reduction Act stood out to her. So the one that stands out to me is... Medicare. One of the biggest effects that I think that is included in this legislation is that now Medicare can negotiate down the prices of prescription medications. And there are also some other benefits in there for Affordable Care Act recipients. So that is going to put a damper on some of these prescription drug prices. A lot of people cannot afford the medication that they need to stay alive and to stay healthy. And the part of the bill that has to do with environmental sustainability includes incentives for businesses and consumers to adopt more energy efficient tools and technologies. There's been a lot of innovations in terms of energy efficiency, but a lot of people haven't been able to afford them. So this is going to affect the inflation, probably less so in the immediate short term, But in the sort of medium term, it's going to have a positive impact for a lot of people. A positive impact for a lot of people is one thing. But what about a positive impact for the folks who need it most? You know, these huge pieces of legislation we've been talking about are good when there's a major crisis. But what about more isolated hardships that specific groups of people are facing every day? Dr. Perry says when it comes to government intervention, we are not doing enough to help these groups. What we don't have enough of are ways to help people through these kinds of circumstances. So, for example, people lose their jobs a lot of times because of changes in technology, changes in employment markets and requirements, or their company moves to another state and they're unable to move or they face some kind of unforeseen health medical problem with themselves or a family member. All these things happen. And interestingly, these unforeseen 
negative events are more likely to happen to people of color who are also suffering from cumulative disadvantage from prior generations dealing with racism and discrimination. So there are far too few, in my opinion, interventions available for people who, by no fault of their own, because of where they were born or to whom they were born, they are more likely to suffer these unforeseen circumstances. And we don't have a lot of protections for them. So we have mortgage insurance, for example, or homeowners insurance that protect banks. They protect the lenders, but we don't really have any requirements to protect the borrowers. If something happens and they can't make a payment, they gotta pay extra for that. But they make sure that those lenders and investors are protected. And that says to me something very sad about the priorities that get set and acted upon. <laughs> that is such a great point, you know? Yes. Especially as we see folks living longer, mm. you know, we're going to need some more of these types of protections. It's so true. And I mean, we have to be correcting for how our culture is changing. And the fact that we're just trying to keep things the same means that the people who were privileged of the past will continue to be privileged in the future. And there is no room for anybody else to live long and prosper. Mm. You know, this was complicated, but I'm glad we covered it. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to make, that the economy is very complicated. It isn't black and white. There's a lot of nuance that has to be considered. And it also isn't static. So the verdict for today could be different from the verdict next week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are some things that we didn't talk about here, but that we both know are really important right? Which we mentioned at the top around the global economy and mm -hmm. how things changing and happening in other countries affect what's happening in our country. Yeah. And we talked about that in past episodes, like, for example, how the war in Ukraine was affecting semiconductor production. Mm -hmm. But I think there's one thing that we've seen, an important immovable pillar of the U.S. economy. And we've seen this stay steady throughout all of this. And I'm curious about how it's working but it is the price of the Arizona tea at 99 cents. <laughs> How is it still a dollar? <laughs> How? And so we really appreciate Dr. Perry helping us unpack such a complex issue. You got to be really skeptical about people who can talk about anything in economics with certainty. Because if they really could predict what is going to happen, we could get ahead of it, right? We would have never had recessions or economic depressions or any of those things. So it's never really been done. There's a Nobel Prize in economics. Has it been the most profound predictions made by those Nobel laureate economists has been how wrong economics has been. Those are the biggest contributions in economics usually have to do with, hey, we really actually got this all wrong. All right, it's time for the one thing. TT, what's your one thing this week? My one thing this week 
you know, we're talking about the economy and how we're spending our dollars. And one way I like to spend my dollars is on black businesses. And I stumbled across this really amazing black woman owned business on TikTok owned by a woman named Camille McCallum. And the name of her brand is Black Woman on a Mission. And she makes apparel. So socks, T-shirts, sweatshirts, hats. And so I've gotten a hat and some socks from her. They both say Black Woman on a Mission on it. I love wearing it because one of the things that she said in her TikTok is that it always starts a conversation. People will ask her, you know, what mission are you on? What do you do? And it actually does happen. When I wore that hat, somebody asked me that. So I got a chance to talk about the podcast and put us out there even more to people who may not know about us. So that is Black Woman on a Mission. The website is blackwomanonamission.com. The owner is Camille McCollum. You can follow her and her brand on Instagram and on TikTok. She is so much fun. I love her TikTok. She's so funny. And so I really love being able to support her in this way. Yes, that sounds great. What's your one thing? My one thing, and I've talked about it before, is an app. And it's called Digit. So when we're thinking about the economy and how you might save and capitalize on those interest rates, Digit is an app that basically is taking money out of your account. And I know that's scary. It was scary to me. (laughs) But you can set the daily limits and it just pulls tiny little dollars away. And before you know it, you have a little nest egg of savings. And if you're living like me and feeling the inflation, you need that nest egg. And sometimes you need to go right on in there and pull an egg out. Okay, so (laughs) (laughs) and make an omelet. And make an omelet, baby. (laughs) And so I think people should check out Digit. I'll share my referral code in the show notes. All right, that's it for Lab 79. I want to know, do you want interest rates to go up? Are you excited about the student loan forgiveness program? For it? Against it? What do you think? Call us at 202-567-7028 and tell us what you thought. Or give us an idea for a lab you think we should do this semester. That's 202-567-7028. And don't forget, there's so much more for you to dig into on our website. There'll be a cheat sheet for today's lab and additional links and resources in the show notes. Plus, you can sign up for our newsletter. Check it out at dopelabspodcast.com. Special thanks to today's guest expert, Dr. Vanessa Perry. You can find Dr. Perry on LinkedIn. Just search Vanessa Perry. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dope Labs Podcast. TT is on Twitter and Instagram at DR underscore T-S-H-O. And you can find Zakia at Z said so. Dope Labs is a Spotify original production from Mega Ohm Media Group. Our producers are Jenny Radlett-Mast and Lydia Smith of Wave Runner Studios. Our associate producer is Caro Rolando. Editing and sound design by Rob Smirziak, with additional mixing and sound design by Hannes Brown. Original music composed and produced by Taka Yasuzawa and Alex Sugiura. From Spotify, creative producer Miguel Contreras. Special thanks to Shirley Ramos, Jess Borison, Teal Kratke, and Brian Marquis. Executive producers from Mega Own Media Group RS, Titi Shodia, and Zakia Watley. We're going to talk about what the government is doing right now to try and rein this economy in. Whoa, buddy. 